today. We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 today, a few verses. And while you turn there, I'd love to tell you about a special evening this Wednesday night if you're able to come. Please do and bring a friend called For Zion's Sake. We're having a uh, wonderful worship leader from Nashville, Marty Getz, come and lead us. He's a, a Jewish believer and, and leads very spirited, wonderful music. And then he'll be followed by a fellow named Moran Rosenblit, who's the executive director of an organization called Hope for Israel, with whom we work when we do missions trips in Israel. The next one being this September, we have a wonderful group uh, preparing to go, and uh, Moran is their leader. So he's a native Israeli, and we'll share some, some things uh, that I hope is, will be profitable and helpful. This time he's bringing his family, wife and three children. So I think, in fact, I think his wife will, will sing a little bit with Marty on that night. She sings. And then a week from today in this class, Moran will be teaching all three hours, all three of these classes. So um, if you're sick and tired of all this Israeli Middle East stuff, take a break next week. <laughs> if you're interested, then next week will be for you. Maybe have a friend who'd be interested in that uh, topic. I think you'll find it palatable. We're not going to be unduly critical of anybody just try to uh, share things with a little more accuracy sometimes than we can get in the media. So that'll be next, next week. Okay, you found your way, I think, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Finally then, does yours begin that way? You know, you get the impression that Paul's done. Finally then. But then he's not done. He's got two more chapters to go. He's sort of like me. This is a Jewish goodbye. And they last forever. Um, <laughs> you know what he means by when he says finally then? He says, I have um, new, additional things to share with you. I've shared with you what I did previously, and now I'm introducing new subjects. These will be the final subjects, but he's not done yet. And then he says, brethren, he's speaking to family members. You know, that term was used in Greco-Roman society of blood relatives. You're... Someone's your brother, your sister, you share parentage. But it was embraced by New Testament writers and applied to us. Even though we're not blood relatives, it's the blood of Christ that has made us to be in one family. So he refers to them as brethren. He says, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk. You know what that implies? Uh, Paul was not just an evangelist. He was a disciple maker. (laughs) You see? He says, as you in the past received from us instruction, he taught them. They were new believers in First Thessalonians. The Thessalonians were new converts. He didn't just leave them on someone's doorstep and say, fend for yourself spiritually. A new believer is vulnerable. And so Paul moved in with his team and discipled these. And he gave them instruction, he said, about how they should walk. That means how to, how to live the Christian life. Isn't that a good way to put it? It's a walk. It's not a, it's not a sprint. Have you ever met someone who have an initial enthusiasm for the faith, but it wanes to such an extent you don't see him anymore? Lots of passion and enthusiasm up front, and then three months later, where are they? It's like a sprint. No, no, no. No, it, 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 it's a walk. It's a walk. And, and you, you know how you walk you, one step at a time? Do you ever feel like you're taking one step spiritually forward and two steps back? But that's not true. 
you can, you're entitled to feel that way, but that would fly in the face of what God's doing. You know what he's doing? He's completing the work which he began. We're not going backwards. Well, we don't give yourself so much credit. You know, the Bible uh, says uh, that one day we'll be presented before him holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. That's God's objective for us. Now, I know when you walk, sometimes you, you can trip over things, can't you, when you walk? So what do you do when you trip? You get up. <laughs> That's what you do. You're not disqualified. No way. You, 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 you just get up. So it's, it's do you ever know when a baby takes his, his or her first step, isn't that something? Everyone rejoices. It's a wobbly, unsteady kind of a thing. You know what I mean? And then they, they get a little better at it. That's, that's the Christian life. It's, you know, it's unstable, shaky. Uh, and, then, and then as we grow, we get to be a little more stable spiritually. Paul said, I instructed you about how to walk. You know what he's saying? There's a lifestyle that is consistent with the gospel message, and they are to live it. You know what he's saying? The gospel message is not just about believing. It's about behaving. Not that behaviors save. Oh, no, I I didn't say that. But having once believed in the sum total of the gospel, death, burial, resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ for our sin, having believed that, it ought to be reflected in the way we now behave. If someone says, I believe, but you don't see any difference in their life, it's likely they've given only intellectual assent to biblical truth, but haven't really internalized it. So Paul is saying there's a distinctive lifestyle that is to be lived by those who are saved. And he said, we instructed you in it, and you ought to live this way. And then he says that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk, look, and please God. So that summarizes what we're supposed to be doing, pleasing God. Boy, that's a tough pill to swallow if you think about it because we've been groomed to be uh, to pleasure ourselves. I mean, that's we think is the purpose of life, to please ourselves. Really, that is the motivating factor for most decisions that we make. What will give me pleasure? But, 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 but no, our purpose, having been redeemed, is to please God. And I must tell you, this flies in the face of the culture, uh, which says, if it feels good, do it. Get all the gusto. Do your own thing. See, these are, these are countercultural alternatives to what the Bible says. It's no wonder the, the culture is um, increasingly not liking us. Because the gospel mandates a cross-cultural lifestyle. If you choose to live it, you will please God and displease the surrounding culture. And we're seeing a lot of that, aren't we? So this is the point, to please God. Now Paul offers a word of encouragement and affirmation. He says, just as you actually do walk. Brilliant. You know, if you're trying to help someone, a child, a grandchild, a friend, a neighbor in Christ... A good thing to do is to emphasize their strengths, not their weaknesses. I mean, we all have weaknesses. Generally, if you play to someone's strengths, the weaknesses will diminish. But if you emphasize someone's weaknesses, they loom too large ever to get over them. By the way, you may be hard on yourself this way. You may be always focused on your flaws, your inadequacies. I got to do this. I got to do better in that. 
I mean, this kind of stuff. So you know what Paul says? Just as you actually do walk. He's saying, you know what? He's saying, Thessalonians, you're already doing this, aren't you? You are already walking in a way that pleases God. But he says, you know what concerns me? I want you to do more. And so he says that you excel still more. That's a good thing. You're doing a great job. Keep going. Keep going. That's essentially what he's saying. More and more. Why? Because nobody has arrived. We're not where we used to be, but we're not exactly yet where we are intended to be. So there's always room for growth, and that's the nature of the Christian life. Now, verse 2. You know what commandments we gave to you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Um, I'm not speaking off the top of my head, says Paul. This comes uh, under the authority of uh, the Lord Jesus. What I'm about to say to you uh, is, is quite authoritative. Now, before we get into what Paul says to them, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever um, sought the will of God, specifically in a life area? Have you ever said, oh, God, please show me your will? It's usually with reference to something like uh, a, a, a job opportunity. God, please show me, is this, is this, is this your will? And some people misread the signals. No, no, no. Uh, 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 or or uh, moving, let's say relocating. Uh, uh, God, what do you think about the, us relocating? Um, sometimes it's, uh, I don't know, someone has a need, let's say a financial need, and you, and you have the wherewithal to help out. Do you ever find yourself saying, God, is this the right thing to do? Should, should, I, should, I, should I do this? You know, stuff like that. We all, we all do that. Um, but let me ask you a question. Why should God reveal his will to us in those unclear areas if we are not willing to comply with his will in plainly stated areas? You know what I mean? If God said, this is my will for you and we don't do it, what right do we have to try to... to, try to um, uh, twist God's arm to get him to reveal his will to us in non-essential areas. So, so I would like to show you one place in the Bible where God's will is very clear. Here it is, verse 3. This is the will of God, your sanctification. Look, it's clear. You know, there's a passage in Ephesians that says, so then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, uh, what the will of the Lord is. So lots of times we're, we're invested in seeking out the will of God. I got that. All right. But here we don't have to seek it. We just have to do it. And I think if we do the plainly stated will of God, we're going to just walk right into his will in other areas. So if you're in the center of God's will now and you keep going that way, you'll probably discover God's will Tomorrow, in some of these other areas. So here's what God says. This is my will, your sanctification. That's a general statement, but boy, it says a lot. God says, my will is not that you, you, you do that which feels good. You do that which pleases the culture. You do that which pleases you. My will is that you just be separated out. Sanctification. In other words, God is saying, I saved you from my wrath, but that's not it. Only, I also saved you for me. The negative aspect of salvation is avoidance of wrath, but the positive is I saved you for a relationship, not just to avoid a consequence. So God is saying, I want you to live a separated life. 
Just as you separate out Sunday, here you are to fellowship with other believers, worshiping God, that's good. That's just an aspect of your life. God is saying, I want you to live in a sanctified way Sunday afternoon, Monday morning, Saturday night. Every aspect of your life. I want you to think of yourself as someone purchased at a great price by me, for me. And I want you to live such a sanctified life that you do that which is pleasing to me. And by the way, I think God is saying, I have a right to require this of you. I bought you. And not only do I have a right to require this of you, I'm right in what I ask you to do because Father knows best. Don't you think we obnoxiously, in essence, say to God often, thank you for your guidelines with regard to how I should live, but I think I know better how to live life than you. So therefore, I'm going to do life my way, even though you're the giver of life. But I think God is saying, no, I own you. I can tell you what to do. I own you. I'm only telling you what to do because I think it's in your best interest. So this is my will, your sanctification. That's a blessing and a burden. It's a blessing because it implies the Father cares how we live. Wow. He didn't just spiritually birth us, give us a boot in the behind and say, you're on your own now. He said, no, I want to do life together. That's a blessing. But then it's a burden because we're not called to do our own thing. We're called to do that, which gives pleasure to the God who called us. And it's also a burden because if you live a sanctified life, I didn't say perfect life. I said a life set apart unto God. It's a cross-cultural life, and the culture is increasingly going to resent you. And boy, is it ever happening in our day. Now, that's a general statement of God's will, our sanctification. But now he gets more specific. Look, namely, that we abstain from sexual immorality. So you came to church on a good day because we're going to be talking about sex. We should have advertised this. The place would have been filled, I'll tell you that. Yeah, your sex, uh, this, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Now, what is up with God? Look, um, the God who came up with the idea of sex, do you know God did that? He has every right to govern it, don't you think? Now, it may surprise you to know that God came up with the idea, but he did. We would never, it's a crazy thing when you think about it, sexual stuff. If you think about it, we never would have come up with it. It doesn't come naturally. It's part of God's design. So I'm witnessing to a relative of mine by letters. This person is out of state, and she is really opening up. I spoke to her on the phone the other day. She said, I'm so excited. This is such a good day for me today. I just got a call from, and she mentioned the name of a friend in another state who just got married. Well, this friend is a male who married a, a male, his life partner. They've been together for 35 years, and because of the uh, impetus given to this thing by the Supreme Court, you know, they decided after 35 years, we'll just tie the knot, so to speak. And uh, this relative of mine to whom I've been engaged in a spiritual conversation said, I'm so excited. Well, I don't know what to say. And so she picked it up and she said, you know, I, 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 I know you don't, you don't approve of this. Uh, to which I said, it's irrelevant whether I approve of it or not. What I think is irrelevant. But let me ask you a question. Where do you think the fundamental notion of sex came from? 
What do you mean, said she? I said, I'm asking you a question. What do you think, just out of the blue? We just sat around the table, had like a committee on stuff, and decided let's do sex this way? I mean, there's no way we would... that. She, she said, I, I said, God came up with the idea. In fact, the first book of the Bible talks about it. Uh, and so if God came up with the idea, don't you think, number one, he has more wisdom about how to do it than we do, and don't you think he has a right to tell us how to do it? She said, yeah. And then I said, and by the way, this is not about sex, is it? This is about God who so desires intimacy with us. He doesn't want something called sin to get in the way. That's what he wants. So anyway, we, we had a good conversation. But she was uh, put off by the idea that um, God has authority to regulate sex. So how does he do it? What bounds? You know, the, the world says, you, you, you Christians, you, you demean sex and minimize it. No, 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 no. The Lord Jesus so values sex he guards it. You only guard something you value. The world doesn't guard it at all. You can have sex with anyone, anything, anytime. That's a devaluation of sex because God values it. He puts bounds. And you know what the bounds are? It's to take place in the context of covenant marriage. Wow, even as I say that, I'm gagging on my own words. That is so cross-cultural. Wow. You, 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 we sound like narrow-minded, Bible-thumping, who knows what. That's how God has regulated sex, which he values. It has to take place only in the context of covenant marriage. So you know what that means? Uh, well, I'll tell you what it means. Abstain from sexual immorality. See the word immorality? Here's the Greek word. Tell me if it sounds like something. Porneia. What is that? Pornography. However, the Greek word porneia is more general than that. It includes pornography and also premarital sex, extramarital sex. We're mostly adults here, huh? Sex with oneself, visual sexual gratification, on and on and on. Group sex, sex with someone of the same sex. Why? Because that's not marriage. In spite of pronouncements from high places, a pronouncement from a higher place says marriage. It, it, it consists of one man being irreversibly bound to one woman. So uh, you think about all this stuff and you say, wow, this is, this is unbelievably narrow. Are you telling a... Uh, Single person, you know, with all the equipment, uh, don't use the equipment, uh, you, you know, until you get married. I'm not saying anything. That's what God says. Well, how in the world is a single person in today's day and age going to pull that off? How could it be that God would require something of us he doesn't enable us to do? Wouldn't that be cruel and unusual punishment if God said, I command that you do this knowing you can't do it? Doesn't make any sense. Makes no sense. But our kids are not buying into this. Did you know this? Um, a, a recent poll indicated 60% of kids raised in a Christian home, church, the whole deal, have no problem with cohabitation, living together. None. 60%. 60%. Do you know um, 
a very high percentage of our kids have had sex before getting to college, and many more will when they get there. You know, it makes sense to live together. Think about it. Two can live more cheaply than one. Maybe you're intending to, the couple's intending to get married anyway someday. Why not try each other on for size like a pair of shoes, see if it's the right fit? You, know, you, 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 can, you can rational. It can make a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense to me. But God says, I did not call you to do that which pleases you. I called you to do that which pleases me, even if it doesn't initially make sense to you. I called you to live a cross-cultural life consistent with the gospel, which calls you not only to believe in a distinct way, but also to behave in a distinct way. So God says, my will is that you abstain from sexual immorality, is what it says. Now you say, oh my goodness, how do we pull all this stuff off in today's day and age? What do you think things were like in Greco-Roman culture? Can I give you a hint? Greek philosopher Demosthenes said, we keep prostitutes for pleasure. We keep mistresses for the day-to-day needs of the body. We keep wives for the faithful guardianship of our homes. Paul is writing to new believers, the Thessalonians. He is saying it doesn't matter what Demosthenes said. It doesn't matter what Greeks and Romans do. What matters is God called you to please him. He called you to walk in a way that gives him pleasure. He called you to live a sanctified life. Specifically, he called you to abstain from porneia. Porneia is any sexual activity outside the bonds of covenant marriage. God said that to new believers immersed in immoral Greco-Roman culture. Every, Every governing authority had a homosexual partner in those days for crying out loud. I don't know if you knew this, but homosexuality is not like a new thing. Paul is saying nobody said it's going to be easy. But why see God's will in questionable areas? Should I put on this shirt or that shirt? Should I move here or move there? Why, why, why question God for those things when you're not willing to do what he clearly states? This is God's will for you, your sanctification. And then God, uh, or Paul goes on to say that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. I should be honest with you and tell you there's a difference of opinion on what the word, the, the word vessel means. Some say it mean, is a reference to one's wife. So you, you, you have a vessel for sexual gratification, your wife. You have to know how to possess your own wife in sanctification and honor. I do not think that's what it means, but you're free to see it differently. I think this is a reference to your body. Because I don't think Paul is only speaking to married people here. I think he's speaking to married and single Christians about living a life with sexual purity. Know how to possess your physical body in a way that brings honor to God. Make use of it in a way that reflects God's will that you be sanctified. And in so doing, you will please him. So that's what I think. You know what all this tells me? We're not victims of circumstances. We can't say, oh, man, but you don't know how hard it is. I just can't. No, no, no. Once again, why would God require things of us he's not enabling us to do? 
So, folks, this is a very hopeful passage because it implies, I'll get there, it implies that we have, with God's help, the capacity to regulate and control our own passions. By the way, do you know the sex drive is the weakest of all drives? I mean, the world is making it like, you know, if I don't get my sex, I can't function. Are you crazy? If you don't get your food, you can't function. You can't have good sex when you're hungry. Did you know that? It's the weakest of all drives. I, 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 don't, I don't want to demean it. It's a God thing. But the world has elevated it to the level where I just, I just, we can't wait. We can't wait. Yes, you could. Yes, you, yes, you could with God's help. So we are to live, verse 5, not in lustful passion. This is like my favorite part. Not in lustful passion like the Gentiles. <laughs> I'm reading the text. Who do not know God. So what does that mean? This is not a slam on Gentiles. This is a comment on Gentile people, notice what it says, who don't know God in contradistinction from those who do. Most of the Thessalonians were Gentiles who knew God. You know what Paul's saying? How could a a person, Jew or Gentile, who doesn't know God be expected to live in a way that pleases him? They don't have the mind of Christ. They don't have his spirit in them. They have entirely different values. When they live in an ungodly way, they are living consistently. You can't expect regenerated behavior from an unregenerated person. But you're different, Paul says. You Jews and Gentiles in the church at Thessalonica, you know God. You have the mind of Christ implanted in you. You have his spirit, by the way, the Holy One, in you, you know better. If you are going to live in a way that is consistent with you, who you are, then you must abstain from sexual immorality. That's essentially what he's saying. And, verse 6, that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter. What does that mean? Um, if you have sex outside of marriage, particularly with someone who's not your uh, spouse, you've just defrauded that person, right? Of what? You've robbed the person of peace, of joy, of a clean conscience, even of reward before God one day. But what if you have sex of a, uh, a different kind? What, what, if, what if it's you're just lustfully looking at someone? By the way, men, this is our deal. This is, this is what gets us. Um, you know, what if a woman crosses your path and, look, to admire her beauty and attractiveness is not the problem. To stay with it to the extent where you are, are, are taking off her clothes with your eyes and imagining being with her, yeah, you just defrauded her. How do I know that? She's probably not a willing participant in your fantasy. To prove it, if you think it's okay, ask her. (laughs) Excuse me, ma'am. I saw you in church on Sunday, and uh, some little Jewish guy was ranting and raving about who knows what. But I was greatly distracted by your uh, astoundingly attractive appearance. In fact, uh, though you're married and I am, I envisioned being with you. And uh, I'm not actually suggesting that to you. I just thought I should say, is that okay with you for me to think of those things? that be all right? If she said, are you out of your cotton-picking mind, then you just defrauded her. 
You just dragged her into your fantasy without her permission. You see what I mean? So this verse said, and by the way, if you have sex with someone else's uh, husband or wife, you surely defrauded that one's husband or wife, did you not? You stole fidelity and faithfulness and trust and, and all the rest. And then Paul says, because the Lord is the avenger. Whoa, we don't like that talk. The Lord is the avenger. I thought he was gracious. The Lord is, I thought he was merciful. The Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. Folks, did you know salvation doesn't grant believers the right to sin without suffering the consequences? Did you know that? Salvation removes uh, the ultimate penalty of sin, which is separation from God. But it doesn't remove the consequences. If you have sex, you know, at a weak moment with someone and get a disease, don't be blaming God. If you have sex with someone you shouldn't have sex with and uh, she or he blows your cover, (laughs) your spouse finds out and wants a divorce, don't be blaming God. If you have sex with someone and you're in a position of trust and you've just violated trust and you're removed from your position, those are the present-day consequences of sin, but they're more. I think there are future consequences. Did you know everyone, including we believers, will stand before God for judgment? Did you know that? The difference is we will not be judged with respect to our salvation. That's a done deal. The wrath of God has already been poured out on the Son for us. Our destiny is assured. We'll be with God forever. However, there comes a time, there are different judgments in the Bible, when we stand before what's called the Bema Seat of God for the dissemination of rewards, as the scripture says, in accordance with the deeds done in the body. How did we live out the Christian life now that we've been brought into the body of Christ? Do you know God will take stock of how we've lived out our lives? Now, I know that horrifies folks who have sinned sexually, so I must say at this point, Do you know God stands ready to forgive? He is a forgiver. Do you know that? What's done is done. Contingent on confession, repentance, turning to God. He'll cast it behind his back. So I don't want to unduly penalize folks, but I don't want us to be let off the hook too much. We speak a lot about the mercy and grace of God. I got all that. But no, this text says the Lord is the avenger of these things, particularly sexual immorality. In verse 7, because God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, here we go again, but in sanctification. So living rightly in a way that pleases God is not just about avoiding the consequences. It's about our calling. This is our calling. If you wonder, who am I? What's the purpose of life? Our calling is sanctification, to live a life separated unto God. That's what it says. So, folks, we Christians say we are saved. But did you ever think about saved from what? We are saved from something, the wrath of God. But that's not the whole story. We're not just saved from something. We're saved for someone, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
The first part is a little negative, saved from the wrath of God. I got that. The second part is intensely positive. But you're not just saved from penalty. You're saved for a personal relationship with Almighty God. And when he puts bounds on how we do sex, it's the father saying, I care how you live. I didn't just birth you, give you a boot in the behind and say, go live. I don't care how you live. He's saying, I'm regulating your life because I care how you live it out. I saved you from my wrath for me. That's our, that's our calling. So Paul says, he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but God who gives the Holy Spirit to you. So we can't say, I can't do this. Yeah, we can. We have the mind of Christ expressed as here quite clearly. So that means we have the word of God, but we also have the spirit of God. And by the way, uh, what adjective describes the spirit of God? Holy. The reason why God wants us to avoid that which is unholy is because he implanted his presence in our life and it has a holy, he has a holy character. So we have the word of God and the spirit of God. And the spirit of God can take the word of God to make us men and women of God. We are not without resources. We can do what God requires us to do. So um, I want to tell you how I do this. Um, you say, how you do it? Well, you're, you're a minister. You should not be struggling in this area. Where do people get this stuff? You know where they get it from? Us, ministers. We make it look like we're different. You know, look at, look at, we're on an elevated platform. Folks, let me put it to you this way with all due respect. We are slobs just like you are. We're all just a bunch of slobs. We're all just a bunch of humans on a pilgrimage, for crying out loud. The only difference between the minister and you is we get the privilege of doing what we do on a full-time basis. Why us and not you? Because God knows we can't do anything else. We have no practical skills. (laughs) You know, we can't paint. We don't do plumbing. Okay, be a minister. So that's the... That's, that's the only thing. So here's the deal. Ministers, ministers are actually more prone to temptation in this area. I'll tell you why. Most ministers can't set bounds on their ministry because the allure of, of uh, winning people's favor and being pleasing to people is, is addicting. It's so great that we can't say no. So every email has to be answered, every text, every appointment, every meeting, every boom, boom, boom. Every request has to be acceded to. But then we get mad. Not at you. We get mad at us. We're disgusted because we can't say no. If we say no to someone, that person may not like us. And then we'll be robbed of uh, the pleasurable experience of having that person's favor. So you know what we do? We say, you know what? I deserve a break today. I'm investing the totality of my life in meeting the needs of those people. You know, I I, I am here at their beck and call. They just make demands all the time. They want this, they want that. and And I can't stop doing it because I like the payoff. I like the reward of them saying, good job, well, you're wonderful. You know, all this kind of stuff. So then you get to the point, you're angry, when you finally say, I need a break today. And then you get the opportunity. There she is. Some woman. And, and you get so close to uh, the partnership, you can't think yourself out of it when you're that close. You can't. When you get s- cer- too close to a certain situation, you can't get out. 
it's too late. And you say, oh, she's willing, I'm willing, no one's going to know, it's not going to hurt. You know, it's just a biological, uh, I deserve a break today. Boom. Catastrophe sets in. So I'll tell you what I do. Uh, I, I firmly believe that could happen to me because it has happened to better people than me. Therefore, I don't get that close because I don't trust me. I don't think I'm going to be able to say no if I'm too close. So I told you the stuff I do. I don't ride in a car with another woman. I don't ride in a car. Not going to happen. I do not counsel with a woman alone in an office. You know where I counsel? Right out there in the lobby. I've had a woman recently say, really, can we go to a more private place? No. You want to meet with someone in a private place? Find someone else. We meet right there. That's the way it is. Why? Do I not trust her? No, I don't trust her. But more than that, I don't trust me. What if I'm in one of those, I'm exhausted, I'm tired, nobody cares about you, they just want a piece of, of you, you know, you get all this kind of stuff like that? What if I'm, 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 I'm hungry, I'm tired, and all the rest, and I, I feel like I deserve a break today? And so I just, I cut off the, touch. I believe in touch, it's important. I love what our pastor says, word, look at a touch. No problem with the touch, just how are you touching? So, so, so this touch is good. Uh, you, 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 you touch a woman like this. I, I, you, don't, you don't curl your fingers and pull her in. You pat her on the back, something like that. There was a woman in this church, she meant well, she, she just didn't get it. Uh, I remember one Wednesday night before the service, she came right up to me, and before I had a chance to defend myself, boom, face-to-face, we're in this clench, this thing here, you know what I mean? Oh, my goodness, people are watching and all this. I'm supposed to get up there and, you know, and all this stuff. Come on, guys, we got to be careful about that sort of stuff. I'm all for being familiar and friendly, but let's not cross the line. So I watch, I watch stuff. like If that continued... Um, I would ask someone, namely my wife, to speak to that woman. Yeah, I would say, hey, keep your hands off. You know. <laughs> I, and then my wife would say, I'm the, uh, you know, uh, I know every woman would desire to, to be married to him. He's such a jewel, but, but I don't know. I mean, she may not say that. But anyway, so, 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 but here's the other way I protect myself. Um, the uh, probability of having uh, crossing a sexual line increases when you're tired, when you're hungry, you know, all this stuff. So I try to make it my business to meet my uh, legitimate God-given needs, which means I'm not out, out every week visiting church people. I'm just not going to do it. Um, I don't make every hospital call. Can't do it. Not going to do it. I can't go to every church meeting, every church function. Can't say yes to every invitation to someone's home. Can't do it. What am I doing instead? Nothing. Nothing. I provide myself permission to sit home with nobody else around, just family, and watching things on TV of no redeeming value. (laughs) Just veg out. Just recoup. Just rest up. I exercise. I watch what I eat generally, not, not purely for physical reasons, because when you're healthier in those areas, you're going to be less prone to give in to, to certain temptation. So I read a book years ago when I was in seminary. We had to, the professor made about a preacher of old, you know, prince of preacher, you know, a great preacher. He said, this is my schedule. I spend about, uh, you know, at least 40 hours a week on 
sermon preparation and then a minimum of another 40 hours on other pastoral duties. How much is that? That's 80 hours, right? That was given as the standard for us who are called into the ministry. That's insanity. You know what that kind of thinking has led many of my peers to do? Be disqualified from ministry. Because first of all, no one can do it on a long-term basis, and no one needs to. We're not that important. So, 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 so I, I, just, I, I, just don't, I just don't do the, I, I, don't, I say no to certain things. I say yes to things I have no discretion over. Like today, I had no choice but to show up. You know what I mean? I gave it thought. You know, it's like a good day, sleep in. But no, no, this is like a, like, this is a non-negotiable. But other things are negotiable. So, so, so that's one of the things I do, to stay reasonably. It doesn't mean you don't get tired from that. But I'm saying if there's a pattern, if you're getting run down, you're not getting any, any exercise, you're not eating well, whatever the deal is, you're setting yourself up. So here's a formula for disaster. Desire, we all have it. Sexual desire, God gave it. Desire plus opportunity, Satan can give those equals disaster. So I watch the opportunity by watching who I'm with, who I'm touching, you know, all this stuff. That's the and the desire part, I try to keep it within the bounds of what God set. I try not to let my desire spill over by taking care of myself and other aspects of life. My wife always knows where I am. Um, there are no secrets. Um, there's accountability, stuff like that. So here's what I do uh, at the point of temptation. Okay, what if you do all that stuff and you don't get too close to a situation generally, but now you're in a situation. Oh, my goodness. What do you do then? I'll tell you what I do. We'll, we'll close with this. I, I, I preach to myself. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 to 8. I, I, I haven't memorized it. I ought to, but I, I haven't. But I, I, I know the thoughts. So, so there's a point of temptation, let's say, and here's what I say. I say, wait just a second. I am saved to please God, not myself. I am missing the fundamental purpose for which I am called. I am about to give in to this because it would be pleasing to me, but wait, I am called to do that which is pleasing to God. I'm called to be holy and separated unto God. Now, everyone may be doing this thing, but I'm different. I've been called to give pleasure to God. He bought me with a price. He owns me, and Father knows best. Not only this, I don't want to be judged for it one day. I don't want to stand before God and have to give an account, and I don't want to forfeit certain privileges and rewards because of uh, in heaven there for three minutes of so-called heaven here. Why do I say three minutes? Because that's about the average duration of the activity. Three minutes, tiger. (laughs) You just sold your soul for three minutes. You see what I mean? So I do this kind of self. I don't want to be judged here. I don't want to be there for what I've done here. And also, I don't want to defraud somebody else. I don't want to defraud somebody else. And I can handle this now. Why? Because I have the mind of Christ and I have the Spirit of God, Holy Spirit in me to enable me to do what he wants me to do. 
And then I say, oh, God, in your power, I'm saying no to this. I'm walking away. I'm looking away. I'm turning that off. In your power, I'm saying no to it. So I essentially rehearse what we just went through in verses 1 to 8. This is a vital passage of scripture for me. Vital passage. Because I don't trust me. The spirit in me is willing, but the flesh, which characterizes me still, is not very willing at all. So I've studied the whole issue, what increases the probability, my peers who have fallen, what led up to it. I've studied it to try to avoid it. For instance, I do things like uh, TV. I don't surf because what if you see something you shouldn't be seeing, but it hits you at a day when you're weak, you're hungry, you're tired, you're angry. You may linger too long. So what I do on my phone, I have a phone app. uh, I mean, a TV guide app. It's free. I can show it to you. Uh, I even know how to work it, which is amazing. It says TV guide. You push on it. I can see the schedule of TV programs. I deleted from it stuff like HBO. I can handle it. It's too tempting for me. It's not even on there. So I have, I have channels over there. So I can see later tonight when it's time for a break, rest up and all the rest perhaps uh, because it's tough doing what we do. Uh, I can see what I could watch that would be recreational and relaxing and a nice diversion Uh, diversion from the seriousness of what we normally do without violating my conscience. So I don't have to surf. I can in advance determine where I'm going to go directly to. You see what I mean? So so I do, it's kind of stupid stuff like that. It's not because I'm spiritual, it's the opposite. It's because I know what my tendencies are. That's the deal. The average one of my peers who has fallen into sexual immorality has little or no insight into who they are. They may know the Bible in Greek and Hebrew, but they don't know what makes them work. They haven't studied themselves. They don't know when they've crossed the line. They don't know when they're serving to get something out of it instead of give pleasure to God. They don't know. They don't know how to say no. They don't know how to set bounds. They don't know how to do it. They don't feel the permission to take breaks, uh, to go for a walk, um, uh, to exercise to eat the right kinds of food, whatever the deal is. And they don't know how to take 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 to 8, even if it's not in the original language, and just preach that sermon to them at the point of temptation. Because here's what happens. When you're burning with passion for something, all you have to do is start talking to yourself this way. It'll, it, and it's amazing how it cools your jets. It's just amazing. You just start speaking truth, light, into the darkness. And it's amazing how it curbs your appetite for sin. Wait a second. What am I doing? I've been bought with a price. I'm redeemed. I'm here to, to please God, not to pleasure myself. Not only that, I want to drag someone else into my activity, defraud that person and make that person accountable to God. And, 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 and oh, God, you called me for sanctification, not for immorality. So you go through all that. I'm telling you, it's not possible to feed your mind on those things and then lend your body to things contrary to it. It's, it's not, it's not going to happen. So, you know, we preach sermons to everybody else. Ministers ought to start listening to their own, own sermons or a little more for crying out loud. Anyway, okay, so there you have it. Listen, you have been amazingly patient. I didn't take questions because I was so interested in hearing what I had to say. But, <laughs> but if, you, if you're still willing to share what you wanted to share, we have some time. So, Tom, go ahead.
Oh, that's good. I think the ESV, I think it, I think I got it right there, Tom. Yeah. Ma'am? Yes, now that's the, that's the discussion there. The word vessel simply means container, so it could be either. As we examine the context, though, I think the version Tom quoted really um, is more accurate. Otherwise, this would just be an exhortation, as I mentioned, to married people, but it's not. It's an exhortation to, single, uh, to Christian singles as well to live, uh, to possess your body in a, in a holy manner. So very interesting that you and Tom should be sitting so close together, have difference of opinion. Therefore, I don't mind if the two of you fight it out. Just leave me out of it if you don't mind. I have nothing to do with it. Go ahead. Who, who else has stuff? You have anything? Yes, uh, brother. Yeah. Homosexual relationship model. And so what you said earlier, it just seems to me to be the, the trump card in that whole conversation is to say, okay, fine, if you want to look at it that way, but how do you get away from the fact that God actually defines marriage in a covenant way yes. between a man and a woman? So that seems to be the trump card in that discussion. That's a great insight, I think. I absolutely agree with you. That's the trump card. Look, if it's just love, that leads to the legitimacy of a bond. Why can't you love more than one? Why does it just have to be man to man? Why can't it be man with several other men? And that's called marriage. Look, the leap from male-female marriage to male-male or female-female marriage was a huge leap. The next step is not such a huge leap. Instead of two people, why not four people? You see how an easy step it is to that? Look at it. I'll show you another thing. If love is the defining matter in marriage, why can't a man love a minor child and be married? Now, I want to tell you, the gay community is going to have a hard time uh, arguing against that because they just redefined the legitimacy of marriage based on not who you love, but that there be love. Okay, so how do you tell a man and a young boy love doesn't exist in their relationship? You're right, but the trump card is, how does God define marriage? You're absolutely right, brother. I think you're right. Yes, Tom again. Uh Uh Okay. Tom is referring to a message by Vody Balkum on that's accessible. He's saying on KHCB on this subject. You're saying that Tom says is Tom says is good. So feel free. I mean, if you're not getting enough good stuff here, and you need to borrow, I guess Tom is right. Yeah, Chuck. Yeah, yeah. Yes. 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 Yes, indeed. 
Well said, Brother Chuck. I, I'm, I'm with you. It pains me to say I'm with you. But <laughs> you're right. Brother Chuck is absolutely right. And we wonder why things are happening out there when the basic unit is being violated by, by us. Thank you, Brother. That is good. Somebody else? Uh, yes, ma'am. A very beautiful and helpful uh, contribution our sister made. I mentioned the man's uh, uh, area of temptation, eyes, and our sister's saying from a woman's point of view, it's thought life even more. And she was saying, so Christian women have to, and, and she quoted this beautiful passage, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. She said we really have to discipline ourselves to think godly and holy thoughts. That's where things emanate with a woman and for men, since we don't think. It's, <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. Yes, sir. I, I know everything. <laughs> I know Matthew said it, but... Yes, yes, it's a serious matter. Um, it's the root and seed of the same crossing of a boundary that full-fledged adultery would have. So it's a, kind of a serious, serious matter. Well said. That's a great passage. Well, not a great passage, a helpful passage. Yes. 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 I think you're. I think you're absolutely right about that. Absolutely right. Well, folks, we're going to uh, have to terminate our our discussion uh, here today, and uh, we'll pursue it at some other time. Never. This is it. <laughs> enough is enough. So, Lord Jesus, thank you for everything. Thank you for. Uh, teaching us what we are to believe and also teaching us how we are to behave in light of what we say we believe. Uh, Neither the belief system or the behaviors are ones we are capable to apprehend but by you. Thank you for your sovereignty and goodness. Thank you for laying hold of us. Thank you for redeeming us, purchasing us with a price. You have every right to shape us up. Transform us so as to be more and more like you, one step at a time. And we pray particularly in this particular area, uh, the sexual area, we might be distinguished from the surrounding culture and live it out in such a way that is pleasing to you. Thank you that we're not helpless victims in this. You've resourced us 
so that we can live according to the bounds you've set. Help us to be ones who live consistently with your calling, and that is to be sanctified, holy, as you are holy. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, God bless you, folks. See you next time. What else is there to talk about now that we talked about this subject? You know what I mean? That's it.